You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, and welcome to another, well, interesting episode of Ask a Drone You. You know who I am. My name is Paul. I haven't changed, just evolved. Here with my good friend, partner, and confidant. You know him as Special Agent Bald. I know him, well, what is your name? <laughs> I kind of like Special Agent Bald. That's what you are on my phone. Well, let's just go. <laughs> there you go. Siri, call oh, Special Agent gracious. Bald, please. Which Special Agent? Calling Rob Special Agent Bald to Bald. <laughs> and we can't say what your special agentness is, right? No, no, no. It has Don't a give that up. It. it does. You can't give out my 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 secret name. As soon as you do, all the support emails will get infinitely jacked. We'll have to change the secret name. No, 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 no. It's no, no, no. <laughs> That's <laughs> the not an option. Name huh? Is staying. <laughs> That's not an option. For those of you who know the secret name, don't say the secret name or write it in a comment. Otherwise, we'll have to change the secret name. Anyway, <laughs> most people probably don't even know it. Anyway, uh, beautiful day here in New Mexico, and uh, as we are entering the winter season. Don't forget to schedule time to work on your business instead of working in your business, which is crucial and really important uh, topic for today. Actually, not for today, but for every day to think about what you're going to work on to make your business better in the future as mm -hmm. we uh, as we get to the end of the year. But in today's show, we're going to be talking about something that is actually really exciting for me, which is talking about someone who's understood ground control points. When it comes to drone mapping, the only real way to get accuracy is by some sort of georeferencing. Georeferencing essentially means that we have known points on the ground and we tell these uh, mapping processing softwares, hey, I know that this known point on this ground is this location on the earth. But there are so many human factors in accuracy, and yet accuracy is talked about so willingly in this industry. Yet I feel like, unless you have a background of surveying, it's really hard to really truly understand what accuracy means. And don't get me wrong, I'm probably not the best person to explain accuracy. But what I can explain is understanding the nuances of ground control points. Uh, talking about the nuances of GCPs, the two parts that they are, how they work together, and why if you don't really focus on your workflow and how you survey the area, and I don't even, survey is not the right word, scope the area to understand how to distribute your GCPs, the types of targets to use, the type of GPS to use, why you use it on certain times of the day, uh, certain factors that you need to have for that GPS. I mean, these are all things that we talk about in class. And we get the opportunity to really show people, look, this is a great uh, PPK workflow. We you know, show people the arrow points. Then we have the RTK workflow, which we bring with us. And now Drone U members have access to that rental program uh, through Leica, which is, which is really awesome. Mm -hmm. But for the first time ever, I had a surveyor in our class, by the way. We actually have a lot of surveyors in class. I had a surveyor come to class. And, um, you know, he said, just right out, he said, you know, Paul, I've got an issue with 
people renting GPS. And I thought this was really interesting. Hmm. And he said, how are people going to really know the quality of the GPS points that they marked? He's like, well, he's like, let's take the example of you and Austin. He goes, you know, you looked at your checkpoint and you realize it really wasn't where it was supposed to be. And you decided to nix that GCP. He's like, what resources are other people going to have when they rent this stuff to know that they're pulling proper GCP points? And wow. at that time, I was like, you know, that's a really good point. And I actually, the uh, our Leica guy- It's a little just, overwhelming. Just showed, it is a little overwhelming. <laughs> it also goes to show why maybe arrow points are still a great solution for people. Mm. But after listening to this show, you may question that because of the topic that we're going to discuss. That being said- once the Leica guy came over, I, re I you know, mentioned this to him. He's like, well, why don't you just check the source data and see what was the 3D quality of the point that you pulled? And I was like, duh. Like, why didn't I think of that? You know what? All <laughs> that tells me is that it takes a village, right? It, it takes people working together and solving problems together. Kumbaya. Well, it does, but it also, we also, you know, I, I don't want to just like go off the rails with this show, but we just had a, a email come in from two students out of New York that have already, already, they took the class, what was that, August? Took the mapping class in August. It's now, so, it's now November, and they are already making more money than what the class cost them. But the most interesting part that I noticed about that email, which by the way, congratulations guys. The most interesting part about that email that I noticed was that the contractor said, you know, we already have GPS equipment. We're gonna pull GCPs for you. That was very interesting to me. What would you do with that? Would you accept that? I would accept that, but I would look at the site and I said, this is where you're going to pull them. Mm. <laughs> you pull them all the day you want, but this is where you're going to do it. <laughs> all right. So, because GCP distribution is so important. Hmm. And, you know, we talk about this in class, but like, think of a table, right? If you want to prop up a table, are you going to put all the supports in the middle of the table? That's not, that's more like an umbrella. Exactly. Not very <laughs> stable, right? No. So in order to hold up your map with the same level of support that you would a table, you typically want to distribute the GCPs mm -hmm. in the same way you would want to hold up a table. Sure. Very true. Without getting into the details of how many feet should be between a GCP, what's that maximum value? Should GCPs be in a straight line? Should GCPs be at varying elevations? All these questions and more you can get at a drone you mapping class. Which brings me to the sponsor of the day, which I'm very excited to announce this as it is finally official. But... Whew, you can test your mapping skills at the Drone U Fly-In Challenge. That's right, Drone U is bringing back the fly-in 2020 in April 4th and 5th. There are two days of flight missions, almost 10 flight missions per day. If you want to test your skills, but you also want to learn a little bit, and maybe you would like some media to utilize for your portfolio for the upcoming summer, then you're not going to want to miss the Drone U Fly-In. Join us. You have a choice of one day or up to three or four. It's all about how how much you want to learn. You can find out more at DroneUFlyIn.com. And since we are talking about mapping, you are going to be tasked to map a ghost town, which has already been mapped. And this ghost town already has scouts utilizing maps to d produce storyboards for the film industry. So this is really a real life job. And you're now going to be able to map a very difficult subject to get that experience in there. And guess what? You don't have to risk the safety of having a client. You can test all the different theories that you want. You're going to be instructed to map this and whoever produces the highest quality map, well, will be the winner of what? Cash money, baby. See you at the drone you fly Cash in. Cash money. Really quick question. We've had a couple of questions about this, so I thought, why not ask you to clarify now? 
talk a little bit about the fly-in in April and the educational part of it versus the challenge competition part of it. It's not going to be like a mapping class no. be on Saturday and Sunday. No, so it's can not. you just talk a little bit about that? Because then I can reference this when people ask. I think that's a great question. Um, what does the instruction look like? So this is the Drone You Fly-In Challenge. Many of you are probably familiar with the fly-in, but maybe not necessarily the fly-in challenge. So this year, we're doing things a little bit different. This is real life, nitty-gritty, no BS. How are you actually performing as a pilot? It's a great opportunity to see how other people fly, and it's a great opportunity for you to test yourself. Now, how is it different from previous flying? So that's a great question. You're going to be given very specific instructions. You're going to be given literally instructions for every station that you're going to. The difference between this year and previous years is that there will not be any instructors to help you along the way. This is a real-life mission. You are given a very exclusive location to test either your creative skills or your technical skills as a drone mapper. You're going to be given very specific instructions just as a client would give you instructions on what they wanted as a deliverable. But no one's going to be there to hold your hand. Your feet are going to be held to the fire. Can you produce? Can you handle the pressure? And can you compete with other drone pilots? So think of this as a real-life challenge. It is a real-life mission. You're given deliverables to output. You're given stations and specific instructions for each station. So it is kind of step-by-step -step instructions, except there's not going to be anyone there to hold your hand. This is real life. We want to see how you perform. It's a great opportunity not only to test your skills as a pilot, but to also get practice, test maybe some new acquisition strategies, maybe test a new way of doing something. And you can test all of those things without, well, you know, risking the loss of a client. You have also the opportunity to utilize all this data that you collect. On the creative side, we're doing a photo challenge, mo actually multiple photo challenges, in addition to videography and cinematography. On the technical side, it's all about getting the highest quality data to produce um, a 3D textured mesh. Um, in addition, we're going to lay out GCPs that day. Um, it's going to be really a lot of fun, but there's so much complexity to this particular area. For example, if you go to map the clock tower and you decide to do a free flight mission over an orbit, I promise you, as long as you follow the rules of our free flight mission instructions, you would get better data than someone doing the orbit. The simple reason as to why is is actually the secret is on the backside of this clock tower. It's very close to the cliff, so you have to free fly inside to get the back mm -hmm. of that material. There's no way you could do an orbit. So No, that's great, and I think that's very, very helpful for people that are wondering more about that. But what I would suggest is that while there isn't going to be lecture time per se, like in the current mapping class, there's hours of lecture. 16 hours. Right. In this case, it's you're going to learn different things. You're going to learn how you're going to learn a lot, a lot about yourself, right? How do I do under pressure? How do I do in a competitive environment? You're going to learn how do I follow the rules that are given? There's going to I guess Can I my just point say is, like I wish I would have had this as a drone pilot growing up. I wish I would have had some safe exclusive place to test my ability right. to give deliverables to a client without any real risk of doing it. Yeah, so th th and that's kind of my point is that while we can't say it's going to be similar to most of our other educational experiences, it's a different kind of educational experience. 
And I think that's super cool, but I want to make sure that's very clear for people that are wondering. Does this make you think about if we should do a mapping class before the fly-in? Well, of course it does, <laughs> but... Back to square one. We've, uh, <laughs> we've gone back and forth on that enough, probably, and... Um, Have your thoughts changed? No. Really? No. I mean, if we need to throw down a mapping class, we can throw down a mapping class. I, I know we can. <laughs> and we've had probably 10 minutes now on this sponsored advertisement. <laughs> Thank you for listening. DroneUFlyIn.com. Let's hear the question. Hey guys, quick question here. Um, first, I'd like to say I love your, your show, what you guys are trying to do. I just became a member, so watched you guys all the time and decided to uh, just become a member and learn as much as I can here. But just a quick question, I'll get right to it. One thing I've been noticing uh, is when I lay out ground control to do some mapping missions and finish the mission, in the processing phase of it, I noticed that when you zoom in, the ground control targets seem to, a lot of times, not always, just fall apart, pixelate very, very bad, so you can't even tell what the center point is to click on to mark the image, and it becomes useless. So I'm just wondering what are the best practices. I can tell you, just to eliminate a few things, um, the image itself is sharp, it is clear, it's a high shutter speed. There's no blur. The picture seems good, but when I zoom in again, it seems like it's a low-res picture because it just pixelates really bad and falls apart as opposed to what I would expect a high-res picture to be. We're using an X4S camera or a camera on the RTK, Phantom 4 RTK. And again, high shutter speed, no motion blur. The image itself seems good, but when you zoom in, it becomes unusable a lot of times. What are the best practices and uh, what are some things I can troubleshoot? Thanks. Great question, Chris. It sounds like everything's in order. Good, good sensors. They've thought about everything that they can think of to think of. What's going on? It's a great question. Um, I think this is actually brings up a really good point because I remember sitting in a PIX4D class about three or four years ago, and I remember listening to On God saying, you know, you really should have a GCP target that's five to ten times GSD. And GSD, for those of you who don't know, means ground sampling distance. And without going super deep down the rabbit hole, this is just such a great opportunity to showcase how the overall accuracy of our maps really depends not only on the workflow, but the systems of workflow. Now, here's what I mean, okay, to be really, really, really specific. I've taught people for a long time now that your accuracy is only a factor of your ground sampling distance, meaning I don't care what RTK unit you're using, you know, I heard some guy at a conference say he could get millimeter accuracy. That's, that's bullshit because it's a factor of ground sampling distance, okay? Ground sampling distance has three factors. Number one, sensor size. Number two, altitude. Number three, focal length, okay? Focal length of the sensor, all right? Now, when we think of a high-resolution image, typically people are thinking about an image you see on your computer or an image you see on your phone. Very, 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 very rarely are people actually zooming in at, like, let's say 100% crop, okay? They're really not looking at what's going on at the pixel level. 
which makes it extremely difficult for people to understand how GCP targets can literally inhibit their accuracy as a whole. Here's what I'm saying. If we take the, uh, by the way, I really appreciate uh, whoever asked this question. I really appreciate that he gave us a uh, very specific information. Yeah, it's great. Images, Background info. Images are not blurry. Here's the camera I'm using. The only thing I wish I would have known is the altitude in which he was flying. Mm. Because he gave us two of the three factors without the altitude. This is also why I recommend taking a mapping class because we talk about altitude as a factor and we talk about when terrain awareness is necessary. At what point when the ground undulates at a certain elevation should you start thinking about terrain awareness mapping? Okay. So let's go back to GCPs, right? He's asking a very specific question. At pixel level, uh, I, I, there's no way to really discern what the center is. I couldn't agree more. This is why we created the, I'm sorry, shameless plug. This is why we created the drone you uh, landing, GCP landing pads, because they are 40 times GSD if GSD is an inch. In order to get an inch of GSD, you're typically flying between eh, 120, 140 feet, utilizing the same sensor. Okay? Okay. So with that said, if we take a traditional GCP, like you see uh, from teachings of Mr. West Coast and teachings from school that should get shall go unnamed, um, they teach people with GCP targets that are maybe 20 inches wide, about the same size as a propeller arrow point. And while that may be okay for some, when you're trying to map large areas where you're having to fly at higher altitudes to ensure that you can cover those areas in enough batteries to get it done at this, you know, in your window of time, it becomes very difficult to really mark the center of those GCPs the higher in altitude that you go. Mm. This is, again, why we created the DroneU GCP landing pads. Because at 40 times ground sampling distance, if ground sampling distance is an inch, it's extremely easy to zoom all the way in and really discern what the center point is. Right? Another thing that he's not talking about is what color are his GCPs? This is why DroneU does not teach on GCPs that have a white face. Okay? Why do we not uh, teach on GCPs that have a white face? It's very simple because white is very commonly overexposed. Typically, also, whenever these drones are being flown through the SDK, for whatever reason, the photos seem to always be a little bit more overexposed than a normal auto exposure image. I don't know why. I don't know if that's a factor of the SDK or what it is. Now, let's say that our mapper is flying at 100 feet in elevation, giving him a rough GSD with an X4S of about six tenths of a centimeter, okay? At six tenths of a centimeter, we can get literally down to pixel level on those GCP landing pads and see exactly where the center point is. But this brings up another very important point. When we're talking about accuracy and when surveyors are talking about accuracy, I love to go have like, and this has happened now twice, Rob, where a surveyor will say, hey, Paul, you know, I really have an issue with something that you said. Um, you know, can we talk about it? And mm. yes, I, I, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear what you have to say if you're going to say it in an intelligent way, make a logical argument and, and say, this is why I think you're wrong. I would love to hear that. But, uh, but two out of the last 10 times that this has happened, I get to go out on the site and watch the surveyor do his work. Because I love to hear the technical reasons of why this person has an issue with something that I'm teaching. And I remember one surveyor... He measured his point, didn't mark it, then put his stake in the ground, tapped it in maybe five, six times, ground captated maybe like a centimeter or two. And I looked at him and I said, so you have an issue with my accuracy. 
I have an issue with your accuracy. <laughs> and he said, he was like, well, well, what do you mean? I'm utilizing the Trimble R10. You know, I know I'm good uh, laterally to a centimeter. I know I'm good to probably two centimeters vertically. You know, Paul, I, I really have a problem with what you're saying. And I said, that's fine. I don't give two Fs if you, if you have a problem with what I'm saying. <laughs> Here's my problem. You just marked a point on the ground and then you went to that same approximate location and, and put a stake in the ground with a hammer, okay? Number one, how do you know that the very finite down to the millimeter point that you just marked is the same location as the center of the stake? Okay, you don't. He clearly doesn't he, care. Yeah, he doesn't. Okay, <laughs> and then I said, okay, so we know that your accuracy is good to uh, on the vertical to about two centimeters, right? He's like, yeah. I said, well, you just captated the ground two centimeters, thus doubling your margin of error. I, said, I was like, dude, how do you expect me to believe anything that you're saying about accuracy when you're not looking at the practical workflow of how you're pulling points and how you're marking those points? And he sat there and he was like, he's like, you know, that's actually a good point. And I said, this is why I bring up all the time with serve, uh, not surveyors, but just mappers, you know, doing GCPs and LEOs. You're the worst at uh, doing GCPs <laughs> with spray paint. With, with all due respect. With all due respect, you're the worst at marking GCPs. Um, and this funny. is also why I have such a huge issue with one of these other guys teaching mapping. This spray paint thing is not going to work because a GCP is fundamentally two things, two material objects. It is a known point. It is a known numerical data point for a real world point in the real world. So you have some sort of ideology on the absolute accuracy of your map. What is absolute accuracy? Where is your map in uh, relation to the real world? Okay. So with that said, um, you know, with, with that said, talking about accuracy, talking about the workflow for GCPs, there are so many levels of human error. As you can see, I kind of lost my train of thought for a second. There are so many layers of human error to say that someone is always as accurate as they think is erroneous. It's also erroneous to say that your accuracy is any unit of measurement below whatever your ground sampling distance is. This is why no matter the mapping application that you use for acquisition, it says your GSD right there. Because I don't care what GPS you're using, it's only as good to that. So we talked about GCPs are two points, right? A real known point in the world. The second part is the target, which is what he's asking about, right? You know, I zoom into these photos that I've taken for these maps, and I can't discern what the true center is. Right. Okay? That's why the target or the pad has to be malleable. It can't be completely flat. I saw a guy make GCPs at a, at a steel before, and I was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I literally go up to him and pick 4D conference. I was like, why are you selling those? He's like, what do you mean? I said, you're a horrible person for this industry. <laughs> I know you would be so mad at me if you were standing there. And I was like, no, no, no. How do you expect me to respect your authority right now? I gave him the open-ended calibrated question. You know, sat there. <laughs> One of your favorites. Sitting on the silence. And I was like, you can't. I was like, you can't. I said, how are you expecting anyone to believe what you're saying when you don't have a GCP that can really measure the real bare earth? Right? You put it on top of the grass. Now you have a whole new few centimeters of error. <laughs> like, come on, man. You got to have some sort of malleable subject because you've got to get to bare earth. 
you can't put this thing on top of a bush and say you're going to be accurate. <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. Unless you're trying to measure to the top of the bush. Honestly, in this industry, I wouldn't be surprised by that. <laughs> now, now, that being said, GCPs are two points, targets and a real known point, right? But the target is only good as when you're actually in the software and you're marking the GCP. Now, I've seen some softwares that allow you to mark GCPs, but you can only mark it at essentially the elevation that the photo was taken. You can't zoom, 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 zoom into the literally. Really? Yeah. And I don't want to say it because, you know. There's no point. There's no point. Right Thank now. you. Maybe later. Now, that being said, if I can't zoom all the way into pixel level to mark that known point, then the overall accuracy of my GCPs is just literally a waste. Mm-hmm. That's why there are certain companies that I do not teach on because unless there is a there is a definitive system for getting down to pixel level for marking GCPs, you lost me because anyone could come in. This is why I teach people with volumes. You got to have GCP for volumes because literally someone who knows what they're talking about could go talk to your client and over the course of lunch, you could lose a contract for life. Yeah. Because if they can better orate why you need GCPs for volumes and put that in a dollarized value, you just lost a client. Of course, very few people can do that. Well, the very few people is, is uh, stacking up to very many people because, because we've trained going to our classes. a lot of people. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I've had people from other schools of people <laughs> who may look like Jesus who have said, hey, look, I went to this class, but I came to yours and I realized, oh my God, all this stuff I didn't know. And it's like, hey, man. In this world, you can only be really, really good at a couple things. You can't be good at everything. I mean, when was the last time that you went to a networking event and you heard someone say they're doing all these great things? I look at my wife and go, yeah, you know what that means? They're really good at maybe one of them. Uh, Probably not even that if they're doing various things. So, I mean, we niche down in in mapping, right? Other people niche down in thermal, other people niche down in confined space. And I think that's actually good for the industry because as long as people understand that those schools focus in those things, I think it's phenomenal. I really do. I think it's actually great that if each school had a different track, I guess you could say, that we could actually really complement each other really well. Yeah, for sure. So forgive me, but have you given Chris the actual reason why he's seeing Pixelated pixelated crap? He's probably flying at a really high altitude. Okay. His ground, his GCP targets are probably very, they're probably too small and they're probably the wrong color. So I'm okay. not saying that you have to use ours. You know, I would love it if you used our GCP landing pads. We've sold out of them three runs in a row. They must be working for people. But if you don't want to spend 250 bucks on five pads, which really is not that expensive, you can go out and get a piece of plywood cut it in half, spray paint the thing, nail it into the ground, and mark the point. And Chris, this is, yeah, okay. What? As I say, you're not plyo. You're back to like that piece of steel if you're, in that, if you're doing that. I, yeah, you are. But give me, another, give me another feasible, okay, I got something for you. I'm just going to give this to people. I will literally give you the drone you GCP pad logo. Go print it on a piece of banner and mark it. I don't care. I really don't care. Maybe we should have the the cheapo pads and do that. I don't really want to do that because there's so many so much value to our pads beyond just the big target. Anyway, long story short is 
he's probably seeing this for a few reasons. Number one, his ground sampling distance is probably very large, meaning he's flying very high and it's harder to see the center point. Number two, the center point of the GCP is probably not a matte finish. It's probably not easily discernible at pixel level. And also it's probably not the right color, right? Highly contrasting discernible center point at pixel level. So, you know, Pix40 says, you know, 10 times GSD, I say 40 times GSD. Because again, how accurate are you really gonna be if you can't easily discern the center point of the GCP when you're marking it, okay? Typically I would just drop mic right there, but I'm not gonna do that, all right? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I don't hear you saying is that he has an equipment issue probably no. or anything like that. It sounds like no. it's, uh, it's essentially a workflow issue. It is because he either needs to fly lower or get different GCP targets, mm -hmm. probably a combination of both. Now, the reason a lot of people don't fly lower is because they're trying to cover large areas in a single day, which makes sense. So a better landing pad, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, will allow you to go somewhat higher, like for example. A larger GCP target, yes. Yes, okay. I just don't want to confuse people on vernacular, that's all. Sure, sure. No, I appreciate that. So take hours. Let's just say the, the general space to be in is 120 to 140 is a good place to be. I tell people that they really want to be sub 150 and if they can be around 100 feet that's great but not everyone lives in the desert where the tallest tree is about 15 feet. That's true. That's true. Okay. No, that's helpful. I think uh, I think that definitely clearly is, is answering Chris's question. Now people who are really going to have a hard time with getting that level of GSD are going to be people in the Pacific Northwest. Now I just taught you three things about GSD. There are three variables. Camera sensor, altitude, focal length. Okay, let me, let's see how much you picked up. So if I live in the Pacific Northwest and I want to maintain a relatively low GSD, but I cannot fly sub 150 feet because of the redwood trees, what can I do to fly at a higher altitude but maintain a very low GSD? Hmm. Tell me the three again. Sensor size on the camera. Focal length of, this, of the sensor to the lens. Altitude of the drone. So talk a little bit about focal length. Sensor to it's the lens. It's not focal length. Keep moving. So you just, <laughs> a better sensor. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly okay. right. Well, Larger sensor. Right. <laughs> he could use a Sony A7R Mark III on an M600 and get the same GSD if he flew at a higher altitude, right? I mean, like, there's so much science that goes into this. And people really say, you know, they were like, Paul, you know, how do you fit all this content in three days? It's like, well, because everyone out there thinks that, like, they want to learn drone mapping in a weekend. And Merry Christmas, if you're going to do it well, you're not going to learn it in a weekend. I can give you everything. Doesn't mean you're going to retain it. That's why we record the class and you can rewatch it. That's the beauty of going to a drone you mapping class. I think we answered this question, and I think I really went into a nuanced level of detail I typically do not go into. Right. No, I love it. I love it. And I hope that you all love it because that was great. Yeah. Seriously. Are we good? I think we're good. You think Chris, we... you let us know if not, or anybody else out there, let us know if not. But I actually want to know what altitude he was flying. So Chris, just send us an email, write, an, uh, write, ask another question, and just tell us what altitude you were flying because that's such a big piece of this formula. Yeah, and then uh, also why you were flying at that altitude. I'd be curious to know what took you to that altitude to fly this. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I mean, there are so many nuances in mapping. So many. It's so important to ensure that if you're, if you're going to dive down this rabbit hole, just be prepared that it's going to be a lot of learning. It's going to be, there's going to be a learning curve. It's not going to be instantaneous, okay? Well, and, and think of it this way, too. Think of it as um, having... 
the sort of depth of knowledge that you have and then competing for a client with someone who doesn't. It's going to make it pretty easy pickings. Well, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, too. Why don't we just start firing out all these testimonials of people going to our class and making money and also not getting in trouble with the local surveying board? Yeah. That says everything. True. On that bombshell, I'm out. (laughs) And I'm Rob. Just kidding. I'm Paul. (laughs) I'll see you next time, guys. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Please don't forget to leave us a review or subscribe. And if you have a question, I really want to hit these business questions, right? It is... It is the time of year to work on your business. So let me ask you this question. Do you know the cost in your business? What is the cost per customer acquisition? And what is the customer lifetime value? If you don't know the answer to those two questions, then your business is very likely to fail. My name is Paul. This is Ask Drone You. We believe that videos, images, words, and sound have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone You.